0: Hello everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nick's World of Sports. My name is Nick Sopola. Thank you for tuning in. We have a good episode planned for you today. A lot of baseball news. We're going to be talking some LeBron as he's getting close to passing. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in all-time scoring, and he's having a good year as well. He's averaging around 29 points per game in his 20th season in the league. We're also going to be talking about the NFL as they round up their season this week as it's week 18 Playoff spots are on the line for some teams. Other teams just don't have anything to play for, so they're not going to really be talked about. If you want to listen a little bit more in-depth about football, my previous episode will be linked in a description of this one where I gave a preview of Week 18 and a bit of a rundown from Week 17. Two episodes prior, I addressed my immediate reaction to the Damar Hamlin situation. So if you want to go check those last two episodes out, feel free to. I'll leave them linked in the description But let's just jump right into the news here. There's some big baseball news. A five-player trade just went down, and the Philadelphia Phillies got better with it. The Philadelphia Phillies are acquiring all-star reliever Gregory Soto from the Detroit Tigers in exchange for Maton, Veerling, and Donnie Sands. Per John Morrissey and John Heyman. Sent also over from the Tigers. Uh, They'll be getting the son of Cy Young Award winner, multiple-time Cy Young Award winner, Roger Clemens. His son, Cody Clemens, will also be sent over to the Phillies. He'll add some bench depth to that team. My personal reaction right away is uh, guys like Matt Veerling, Donnie Sands, and uh, I believe that's Phil Maton. I could be wrong if it's Phil Maton or not. I always mix up. There's a couple Matons, I believe, in the MLB. But... This move for me just shows that the Tigers, a team last year that was spending a bit in the offseason and wasn't afraid to spend, like they brought in Javi Baez on that huge deal. They're looking to rebuild a bit. They're looking to kind of dismantle some of the core. And a guy like Soto, who a lot of teams were calling about earlier in the, uh, the last season, in 2022, they were calling about him around the trade deadline as he's one of the more elite relievers in all of baseball. He's now a guy that's going to be joining a Philly bullpen that just recently got Craig Kimbrell, who's one of the all-time leaders in saves. Sir Anthony Dominguez had an awesome run through the postseason this past year, and now they're adding an all-star in uh, Gregory Soto. I love this trade from the Phillies. I think now at this point, I know how powerful the Padres are. I know how good the Dodgers are always going to be, but I think the National League is going to run through the NL East now. The Mets only got better, it seems like, on paper. The Braves are not going anywhere, especially after they just locked up Sean Murphy long-term. They now have one of the best catching platoons with two all-star catchers, with Travis Darnot and Sean Murphy, who I could argue is one of the best catchers in all of baseball. You also have JT Real Muto over in Philly. He's a good catcher. There's two really good catchers. Francisco Alvarez, a Mets top prospect. A lot of great catchers in this division. It just seems like to me that the Phillies don't want to sit around and just wait after signing Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker, who Taiwan Walker has been a little suspect against some really good teams in the past, but he's also looked really good at times. He's an all-star. I think that the Phillies needed to beef up that bullpen. They lost David Robertson, who was their big trade deadline acquisition for the pen. I really like this signing. Soto's young. He's going to be there for a while. He's under team control, I think, for another year after this. He, It's a good move. The pieces they gave up. Veerling's got a lot of potential as a defender in a corner outfield. I really was not a fan of what he did with the bat this past year. Donnie Sands is a piece that the Yankees sent over last year, I believe. I forget what they got for him, but they did send over Donnie Sands, and I think it was the Nick Nelson trade, too, where Nick Nelson got DFA'd ended up trading both of them to the Phillies. But Sands is not someone I expect to be an, a contributor on a major league level right away. I believe the Tigers lost their starting catcher, which was, I believe that was Tucker Barnhart last year. I could be wrong, but I believe their starting catcher is no longer in the equation. So Sands will have a chance to compete for the starting role, but I don't think he'll be a very effective pro right off the jump. Unless he turns into Jose Trevino, I don't see it really working out for Detroit. This is not a good time to be a Tigers fan. I'm sorry to all those out in Detroit. There's not a lot to root for in a lot of your sports. I mean, the Lions are looking like they're promising in the next few years, but this Tigers team is, I guess, punting a bit. They did have two of the top prospects in all of baseball with Spencer Torkelson And I think it's Riley Green's the other one. I always mix up his name with one of the kids down in Arizona. But they had two of the best prospects in all of baseball entering 2022. And Torkelson looked like a big flop so far. So if he can get right, maybe Detroit, it won't be as bad. But that trade just kind of, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Tigers unless they're trying to, you know, rebuild a bit, kind of punt more. Austin Meadows seems like he's not going to be coming back or he might want to be moving on from Detroit after his mental health struggles. I I just think Dave Dombrowski is making an aggressive move for the Philadelphia Phillies, and it looks like the Phillies are just only going to get better. They're having one of the best offseasons we have seen from them in years. This is better than their 08 offseason after they won the World Series. This is better than when they brought back Cliff Lee after trading him away. They had him, Halladay, and Hamels, and Roy Oswalt that one year in the rotation. It's just because of the significance. They just went to the World Series. And now they're out here saying, all right, we're going to get the job done again. Let's go back out there and let's get as many guys as we can to solidify this team. We had a tough time finding a shortstop. D.D. Gregorius was not the answer. Done. Trey Turner. We need another starting pitcher. We're probably going to lose out on Thor. We did have some nice little pieces like Rangers Suarez kind of show out, and we have two potential Hall of Fame starters on our team in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. All right, let's go grab Taiwan Walker to eat some innings and be a nice three to four guy in the rotation. Done. Now you go get Gregory Soto, because the bullpen was another thing for years that has haunted the Philadelphia Phillies. Hey, it looks good. I'm very happy with this. Clemens is a very underrated piece. He's not an incredible pro he's a serviceable replacement level pro he'll get some time probably at second base especially with the departure of gene Segura. he might even compete for the second base spot but i do think they're going to kick that other kid does playing short they're going to kick him over to second and it looks like clemens might not get a lot of at bats he might be more of someone that's going to stay in the minor leagues for the phillies if he has any options which i don't believe he has any options left i would like to see cody clemens maybe be a bench bat he might get some playing time with Harper not playing until midway through the year. But once Harper comes back, this team's going to be very scary again. I know a lot of people are counting them out because they're not going to have Bryce Harper, but he's been playing like Superman since 2021. Like It's been well documented that Bryce Harper has been one of the best players in baseball, if not the best player in the National League. I mean, that's an argument I could make because he won MVP in 2021. Led his team to a World Series in 2022, where he was clearly the best player on the roster. He's the franchise guy in Philadelphia, and they're just continuing to build around a guy like Bryce Harper. And they're going to continue building a team until they win a World Series. And that's always been the mission statement from Dave Dombrowski. Whatever it takes, He's when he's been allowed to have the financial freedom he wants, he will spend. It was well-documented in Detroit when he was working for Mr. I., I like it. I like it from Dombrowski. Speaking of NL East teams, let's move on to the New York Mets. I said on an earlier podcast episode that the Correa deal, my inside source said it would be done by Friday. Here we are. It's Saturday afternoon. Still no deal between the Mets and Carlos Correa. Some reports have it that they're far apart. It's still not dead, but it's not looking good. Correa has been fielding offers from other teams. I am not surprised that they're still fielding offers from other teams because a guy like Scott Boris is gonna want, you know, he wants backup offers. He's gonna want offers on the table. If it's not going his way, he's just gonna be like, "All right, goodbye. On to the next one. We're gonna go get the more. We're gonna go find someone that's willing to pay Carlos that money." The concern with Correa is an ankle injury he suffered back in the minor leagues with Houston and he got a rod placed in an ankle. He hasn't missed time because of it in his professional career. When he got called up, since he's been called up when he was 20 years old, he has not missed time because of an ankle. It's been a back injury. That's really been the issue. He has a bit of a back problem. I personally think that it is something that, you know, you got to be cautious when you have a rod in someone's leg because that's that's something that Rod could also break, too. You know there's an issue there. He has an, a history of a severe injury in the ankle. And, I mean, baseball, you're pivoting a lot, especially when you're hitting, you're, you're turning, your legs pivot, you're putting pressure on your feet. When you're diving and stuff, also sliding, you're going to put some pressure on that injury or that injured ankle. It's something to be a little concerned about, especially if you're going to pay him. million over the course of 12 years. The Giants got cold feet for 13 and 350 and I don't blame them for getting cold feet just because again the injury history and that's a lot of money to commit to him. The Giants top prospect too is in fact a shortstop if I'm not mistaken. The Mets top prospects are catcher shortstop third base and a middle infield slash third base with Alvarez, Beatty, and Maruccio. And I know Beatty's kind of been hailed as the next David Wright. And that kid marucio has got a super smooth switch-hitting swing. He's been tearing it up in the uh, the Winter Leagues down in, I believe, the Dominican Republic he was playing, in Dominican Winter League or something like that. I forget the exact league. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and double-check it. But from what I've heard from sources, he's looked very good I've seen some stuff about his swing profile before. I think it projects very well in the major league level. I think if they end up getting Correa, they're going to hold on to Marusio and tell him, hey, go grab an outfield mitt. Beatty, it's too late. He's got to play an infield position. The worst case scenario for the Mets right now is you get Beatty. You keep Beatty on the major league roster for next year. Correa doesn't sign. There you go. You have your third baseman, one of your top prospects. I do think we're going to hear something about this Mets deal tomorrow or Monday. It's not looking promising for the Mets right now. I don't believe Steve – it's not on Steve Cohen. It's on everyone else, including Cohen. That whole front office and the coaches are probably like, I don't know if we should do 12 years for this guy. Here's an interesting fact, too, if people have not known this. There's only been two times in Carlos Correa's career – where he's played over 140 games in a season, or 140 and plus. So that's another thing to note. He spends a lot of time on the injured list. Do you want to commit a lot of money to a guy who's going to play 120, 130 games a year? I mean, I get it. Everyone's going to have stints where they're down. But if I was a general manager, I was reading between the lines like, you know, he's a great player. He's a top 15 to 20 guy in baseball. And he wants to play third base for us when he's arguably the best shortstop in baseball? Like, it's not a bad idea at all to try and bring this guy in. But the injury history is just scary. It's scary, to say the least. There's a reason Houston let him walk. There's a reason why the Mets are concerned. There's a reason a lot of teams didn't want to sign him last offseason. And now we're back here this offseason, and there's a real issue with Carlos Correa's physical There's a real issue, too, with games played. He's only played over 140 games twice in his career, which I've argued now twice. I just don't – I wouldn't blame the Mets if they opted out of this. I wouldn't blame them if they let him walk, especially if he's going to be stubborn on the years. That's just my personal two cents on it. The thing Correa will add if he is a New York Met is in the postseason, he adds that clutch gene, that X factor A lot of guys on the Mets, I did kind of mention this last episode too, but I'm going to get a little repetitive here just because I want to really hammer this point home. The Mets couldn't hit good pitching last year. They didn't prove it to me. The final week of the season, Max Freed and Spencer Strider dominated them. Alonzo can't hit Freed. He couldn't hit Strider. Same thing, Lindor showed his struggles. The only guys that consistently hit against good pitching all year for the Mets is Jeff McNeil. Mark Hanna every now and then would do something cool against good pitching. And then in the playoffs, Brandon Nimmo exploded in game two, and Marte showed flashes of being able to do something against competent pitching. And I'm not saying the Mets are necessarily merchants off of bad play like they play very well against bad teams and they only hit against bad teams I'm not saying that I'm just saying a guy like Correa would really boost the lineup and if you miss out on him that's the only big thing that you're missing because the defense at third base Beatty's a good defender he's has a plus glove I mean I personally think he's a plus glove Beatty I'd like to see Beatty get a shot I know if Mets fans are Fed up with Eddie Escobar. Hell, you could even throw someone else in the outfield and have Mark Canna play third because is a capable third baseman as well. And I'm not trying to rule out every possibility here. I'm, I'm saying there's, everything's on the table now again, especially with this Correa deal not being finalized. And it's been weeks now since this deal was agreed upon. The Mets were all set, ready to sign him, make him take the physical, and now there's hesitance. They're hesitant. There's not that urgency that there once was for the New York Mets. This offseason, if I was grading them, and I'm going to be releasing grades at some point on the offseason at some point in the podcast, not this episode, but a couple episodes down the road from now, maybe once we get into the playoffs for football, one of the episodes I'll plan out a baseball one. I wouldn't give the Mets a complete grade. They'd have an incomplete grade right now just because we don't know what it would be with Correa or not. They got Verlander, they got Senga, they went out and got Jose Quintana, they beefed up that rotation a bit. They lost pieces like Bassett and DeGrom, fine. We got JV who just won the AL Cy Young award and we just got the best pitcher in Japan last year or arguably the best pitcher in Japan in Kodai Senga. He's the best one, the most hyped up pitching prospect to come over since probably Shohei. There's also talks the Mets are going to be in on Shohei next year. And then Soto two years from now. I mean, we will see. They're going to have to pay Alonzo. They got that Alvarez kid who's going to compete. They went out and got Omar Narvaez. It's a good time to be a fan of the New York Mets. But I wouldn't be popping champagne just yet. This Correa deal is still not on the ground. We're going to talk a little bit more baseball here real quick. We're just going to go through the last few signings that have occurred and one other trade that we might have touched on slightly. Right before the new year rung in, the Marlins agreed to terms with former Phillies second baseman Gene Segura, who's had a serviceable and solid career. He's going to add a little bit of something to that Miami offense, which is terrible. It's going to be one of the worst ones in baseball next year. Even with Jazz Chisholm in that lineup, that's just a weird team. This is a team that at one point had Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and D. Strange Gordon. And now they don't have any type of offensive output. And they have one of the best young rotations in all of baseball. They need a bat. They need a bat desperately. Gene Segura adds some veteran presence. He's been a 300 hitter. He's a multiple-time All-Star, I believe. If not, he's been a one-time All-Star. He had a really nice playoff run this past year with the Phillies. I understood why they didn't accept the team option. I did have the Phillies picking up the club option on Segura, but they didn't. They declined the $17 million club option for one year. Segura gets the same amount over two years with the Marlins. Kind of an interesting move, too, because they already have a second baseman. And they have a shortstop at Miguel Rojas, who they might move. They may consider moving Rojas, but I don't know what the price will be. Regardless, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Marlins as they are going to probably enter the trade market now. There's been talks about moving Pablo Lopez. We'll see if they actually go through with moving Pablo Lopez. We'll figure it out as soon as we know. Uh, next up, we'll talk about the Rangers also signed Nathan Avaldi to beef up their pitching rotation. Two years, $34 million. I think the Rangers just made a move. avaldi's still got good stuff. He's still throwing high 90s to 100 miles an hour. He's a little bit older. They now have a rotation. It's been well upgraded from last year. They're going to have... Joining Martin Perez, they're going to have Jacob DeGrom. That was the biggest signing they've made in years, probably ever in their franchise's history, I could argue. So they signed DeGrom. They signed a revived heen dog from the Dodgers, who had a nice year over there. Jaco DeRizzi is going to be over there to eat up some innings. Evaldi, that's a nice four-headed monster with Martinez. That's a nice five-man rotation. There's no more John Gray starts. There's going to be no more Glenn Ottos. Right, Glenn Otto? whatever his name is, Otto, the Yankees guy. I don't think it's Glenn Otto. That's a Hall of Fame center. Excuse me. Otto's not going to be starting. It's going to be good to see Evaldi kind of get a resurgence here. His velocity was down towards the end of the year. It wasn't at the 97 to 98 range. It was down at 94 mile an hour, but he could still pitch. He's got the funky windups he can mix up, mix and match with. I personally think Avaldi's gonna mesh well in this rotation. He's gonna learn a lot from Jacob deGrom pitching and Andrew Heaney picked up a lot with the Dodgers last year. I personally had Avaldi signing elsewhere. I did not have him returning to the Boston Red Sox. I had him signing for the Orioles at three years, forty million per on my top fifty predictions list. But he goes to the Rangers for two years and thirty four. More annual annual salary than I predicted. I do think Nathan Evaldi is going to make a difference. He has got that player option to play for in 2025. Let's see what happens with that. I like it. Uh, We'll get into one more trade that happened and one more signing. The trade that I want to talk about really quickly involved the Toronto Blue Jays who have been looking to upgrade in the outfield spots. Earlier this offseason, they traded away Teoscar Hernandez. They traded him to the... Mariners actually I was about to say someone else but it was the Mariners I remember it now they traded him to the Mariners for uh, Eric Swanson who's a very good bullpen arm that Seattle bullpen this past year was awesome by the way let's just not discredit them right here the Seattle Mariners had a really good year this past year an awesome year one of the best years I've seen from a team that caliber in a long time they went out and even made aggressive trades in the offseason they traded for a eugenio suarez and jesse winker winker of which is no longer on the team they traded him for colton wong so Winker's going to be a brewer he had a bit of a down year but i'm still a fan of winker i think he's going to be very well he's going to play very well excuse me i like the move though from the mariners they get Colton Wong to replace Adam Frazier and they also bring in Teoscar Hernandez to upgrade in the outfield spot they do lose Swanson which is a bit of a curious case why they would give up a bullpen arm two things the Blue Jays really needed an upgrade at the bat especially in the outfield spots and they needed bullpen pitching the Blue Jays then went back into the trade market and traded for D-backs, I guess I could say star, former top prospect or former high in the system prospect, had an all-star caliber year this past year. Catcher and corner outfielder Dalton Varsho was sent over to the Blue Jays right before Christmas on the 23rd of December for Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. The trade for me, bit of a head-scratcher for the Blue Jays. I know is under a lot of control. And he's a lefty bat that Toronto also desperately needed as they were very right-handed. It reminded me a lot of the 2018 and 2019, even 2020 Yankees. Reminded me a lot of those Yankees where they would just bring up right-hander after right-hander after right-hander. And they had only one or two lefties in the whole lineup, and one of them was a switch-hitting hit guy who hit better from the right side. They had one pure lefty in that lineup for a few years, Those 20, the 2019-2020 Yankees, and it was Brett Gardner, and he was declining. The Blue Jays had that same issue this year. That's what exposed them a lot because they had all their best hitters, Springer, Bichette, Goriel, Hernandez, Guerrero, all right-handed hitters. Not The only lefty in that lineup that got regular playing time that I could think of off the top of my head. And if I sound like a casual for not knowing another left-handed hitter in this lineup, I'm sorry. But it was Raimel Tapia was getting a lot of at-bats regularly because he was lefty. Don't get me wrong, Tapia had a nice year. Especially only expected to be a fourth outfielder, and he played pretty well when a couple of those guys went down, like when Hernandez went down for a bit with an oblique. And they had a nice surprise, too, with Santiago Espinal. But they needed that lefty desperately. Dalton Varsho is a masher from the left side. He had 27 homers, and he was actually an elite defensive outfielder with plus a with plus 18 outs above average. He had a 4.6 wins above replacement and a 3.02 on base percentage, which is not that impressive, but the 4.6 war is actually kind of nice from Dalton Varsho. He brings flexibility. He can catch, but the price the Blue Jays paid for Varsho is a little interesting. Gabriel Moreno is one of the top prospects in all of baseball, and he's a catcher. I know the Blue Jays have Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen, and Alejandro Kirk was just an all-star, and he's in the conversation for best catcher in the American League. I just didn't get the move there. The Blue Jays have done stuff like this before, where they trade top prospects and it bites them in the butt. Look what they did recently when they traded, I think it was number two and four in their system. One of them was in the top 20 prospects for Jose Barrios a year ago. And Jose Barrios, they signed up to that big extension. They doubled down on the move. And Barrios has looked terrible in a Blue Jays uniform. I believe his ERA this past year was closer to five than you would want it to be. <laughs> he wasn't even close to league averages for a while. Him and you say Kikuchi kind of blew up in the faces of Toronto. Regardless, though, I digress for Moreno. They also give up Gurriel Jr. I guess you got to sacrifice a right-handed bat as well in the Major League level, in order to get a left-handed bat. In the case of the Diamondbacks, you have a nice young outfielder in Gurriel with all-star potential. Moreno's also got all-star potential. That's just what it is. Uh, One more signing we'll touch on real quick, or two more, I should say. Corey Kluber takes a prove-it deal again, but this time in with the Red Sox. It's also staying in the AL East again. As he's now played for the Red Sox, the Blue, not the Blue Jays, the Devil Rays, the Rays, excuse me, and now the Red Sox. He signs for one year, 10 mil, with incentives that can make it up to around 12. Corey Kluber's going to keep getting contracts regardless, because he's a two-time Cy Young Award winner, one of the best pitchers of his generation. He's had some of the best pitching seasons of his generation, too. A fact that I always throw around on this podcast, too, and one of my favorite trivia questions ever he is one of two pitchers that went to Stetson University that has been a two-time Cy Young Award winner. The other one is Jacob deGrom, and I believe that's the only school in the whole country that has produced two two-time Cy Young Award winners. Who would have thought Stetson University in Florida? Regardless, I think that's going to cover all the baseball news for us today. Uh, one last thing I'll add. I kind of talked about it too. Ben Intendi got... His deal pushed through. He's officially a Chicago White Sox. And Michael Conforto is officially going to be a giant on his two-year deal. That deal just went through this morning. It was processed by the league offices. It's good to see Michael Conforto back in baseball. It's time to shift gears here. We're going to talk basketball really quickly. And it's going to be about LeBron James. And we're also going to talk some other teams and some other players that have been hot. But... It would be silly for me not to talk about LeBron James when he's about to become the all-time leader in points scored and he's averaging 29 a game in his 20th year in the league. Bit of a hot take for me here is I do think LeBron's increase in scoring has been due to increase of pace of play. It's kind of mixed in there also with another factor that I'm actually surprised with is uh, just the amount of threes that have increased since the Curry days have began. Curry has kind of influenced people to take more three-pointers. Is it good for the game? I don't know. I mean, if I want to throw my personal opinion out there, I'm more of a 90s, early 2000s kind of basketball guy. I like playing defense. I always thought defense wins championships in any sport, but in basketball, they got rid of the full 24 reset after an offensive rebound, so it's 14 seconds. You kind of got to run a little quicker there. You got to be one or two passes, and it's got to be a shot, or you got to be You reset real quick. One pass has got to be in the basket or up on, you got to put it up on the basket. I think that's benefited LeBron a bit. He's proven to me a claim I had earlier in the offseason was that he's washed for good, that he would be done. He wouldn't be averaging over 20 a year, a game, or he wouldn't be averaging close to 25. He would be under his career averages, which I believe are still 27, 7, and 7, despite the fact that I still don't think he's ever had a game where he scored 27 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. I think pace of play is going to help LeBron get past Kareem, and I think other guys will pass LeBron when it's all said and done. I think Curry has a shot. Luka has a shot. But, again, I'm going to digress from that. I got to respect greatness. As much as I am a Michael Jordan fan, and I do believe Michael Jordan will always be the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, LeBron James is about to do something no player ever thought would be possible after Karl Malone retired. We thought no one would ever catch Kareem. It's one of the most unbreakable records in sports that people talk about as his all-time point-scoring record. And it's about to be done. He's, I now believe, under 500 points away from doing it, LeBron. He's special. The chosen one, the kid from Akron, Ohio, I know Laker games are late for my friends on the East Coast. Tune in and watch them. I tuned in last night and watched the Lakers game because we're going to witness history. And it's not a matter of years anymore. It's a matter of games. Like This is something that realistically could happen around the All-Star break. The latest. As long as he stays healthy and there's no season-ending injuries... LeBron James going to break the, se- the single season scoring record this year. I know. Crazy to think about it. But once again, LeBron James has proven time and time again that he's one of the best players in basketball and he is aging like fine wine. Will the Lakers be in the finals this year? That's a stretch. Will they make the play-in? Probably, but again, I don't know. I think the Lakers are a little suspect. But it's still important to note that LeBron James is the best basketball player we've seen in the last 20 years. He's better than Kobe. He's better than Melo. Better than Iverson. Better than Shaq. No one has changed the game like LeBron. Been to more finals in the last 12 years than some franchises have ever seen in their existence. Like, the Hornets have never been, to my knowledge. The Charlotte Hornets have never been. Mike, Mike went to six finals in ten years. LeBron went to nearly ten. I think it was eight in ten years. Or nine in ten years or something like that. Respect to LeBron. Throughout the rest of the league. Zion sat last night. C.J. McCollum picked up the slack scoring. The Nets look good. The Nets have been heating up. They're still a piece away, though, I think. They need another piece to pair with Irving and Durant. Ben Simmons hasn't been great this year. Who knows? The Knicks escape Toronto after a late scare last night. They win. Brunson hits a big shot. Randall goes off for 30-plus and 10-plus again. Julius Randle is back in all-star form. It's a good time to be a Knicks fan. They're, they are over five they They've been on a bit of a nice stretch since December. Hey, I'm happy for the Knicks. Get them back on track. They're one of the most exciting young teams in all of basketball back in 2020, 2021. Then last year like was a dud, and they got better, too. They were better on paper, and they just put up a dud. A lot of people, myself included, were very critical of the Knicks not trading for a point guard like DeJounte Murray or someone else. Like, I don't know. Uh, How about that dude that scored 71 points the other day for the Cavs? That guy who grew up in New York. The guy who grew up a huge Mets fan too. Always spotted at Citi Field. Donovan Mitchell. Why didn't we go get him? A lot of people were questioning the Brunson signing even. But Jalen Brunson's looked like the best point guard I've seen in my lifetime. As a Knicks fan myself, it looks like the best point guard I've seen as a Knick. I don't have a lot of great memories of point guards. I'm talking about Raymond Felton, Chris Duhan, Derek Rose. No offense to D-Rose. We love you. Those are probably the best point guards. Maybe. I don't really remember much of Starberry. I don't really know too... I remember Jamal Crawford vividly. Not vividly, but like vaguely. Excuse me for b- mixing up my words there. But I do remember Jamal Crawford. The Knicks have not had a true point guard in a very long time. And it's about time they got one. And Brunson looks like he's the answer for the Knicks at point guard. The Heat win in impressive fashion after a disappointing loss a couple of days ago. They beat up on the Suns. Chris Paul played the first quarter and did not play the rest of the game due to injury. Devin Booker is still out, too. DeAndre Ayton looks terrible. I'm going to be the first person to criticize him. I've never personally believed in DeAndre Ayton. When he was taken first overall, I knew the Suns missed with that pick because Luka Doncic was still out there. He just looks terrible. And I mean terrible this year. He looked terrible as the number one option. He can't be the number one option. I just don't get it. I think that the Suns messed up big time because now they could have had a core of D-Book and Luka Doncic. Imagine how scary that would be. Or even Trey Young. That would be scary too. Speaking of Luka... But has on a tear. Kid can play. What was it? A 60-point triple-double he put up against the Knicks? Pulled off a nice little Tracy McGrady impersonation, brought the Mavericks back with under a minute to go, forced it to overtime, and willed his team to win? It might be a little early to say Luka is the MVP and arguably currently the best player in basketball. Not the best that we've seen just off of, like, Resume, because LeBron's the best player in basketball off resume. But Luka looks like he's the best player in basketball right now. No other way to put it. No other way to put it. Good for you, Luka. Keep carrying Dallas sports. Dallas sports are going to be a little exciting as the Rangers are on the come up. The Stars are playing hockey again. And, of course... The Dallas Cowboys have a chance to clinch the number one seed this weekend. The NFL is going to be very interesting this week. We have a lot of pl- weird playoff clinching scenarios. The AFC is one big, crazy mosh pit now with seeding. We have no idea where anyone's going to be seeded because the AFC owners approved a neutral site for the AFC Championship because of the DeMar Hamlin situation. The Chiefs are in line to wrap up the number one seed, and it looks like Buffalo will be the two, and Cincinnati can only be the four or the five. If they win this weekend, Cincinnati, I believe they'll be the four. But if they lose, they'll be the five by the amount of games played or something I think it was down to. But if Cincinnati's the five, they will do a coin flip to see who plays at home between them and the Ravens, who would be the four seed. Again, it's a really just terrible situation what happened for everyone involved in a DeMar Hamlin situation. We got a good update from him yesterday that he FaceTimed his teammates during a team meeting. He called in. He did a little flex and then said, I love you guys. He said that to them talking. He's no longer on a ventilator. He's just being monitored at the hospital. He's making significant progress we do know the Bills placed him on injured reserve, which is no shock to anyone out there. But it's awesome to see a guy like DeMar Hamlin, a good, charitable, nice a kid with a – he's got the right mind on. He's level-headed. He's always thinking about his teammates. He's thinking about the community. When he woke up from the hospital, he asked the doctors, did we win through writing, and the doctors told him, You won. You won the game. Something along those lines. I didn't want to quote that verbatim. The only thing that sucks for the Hamlin situation is teams are going to miss out on seeding. The Bengals are obviously a big team that misses out. As they were fighting for the number one seed, they had a slim chance at it. And they would have ran away. If they won last week, they would have ran away with the AFC North. They would have clinched it, I believe, over the Ravens. Now, it looks like there's technically not going to be a a real winner. It'll be disputed for that division. And if either the uh, big three teams in the Bengals, Chiefs, and Bills play in the AFC Championship game, it's neutral site. We still don't know where the neutral site will be. I heard rumors about uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, but apparently the Colts declined for that. I have a... A sneaky feeling it's going to be SoFi Stadium. Just because the NFL loves milking SoFi Stadium recently, it's going to be SoFi. We're going to talk about some games that I personally have highlighted on the schedule this week for the NFL. I talked about them a bit last episode, but I'm going to mention them again, give you some clinching scenarios that are going to be happening in the NFL. Tonight, the only game that's going to matter is the Titans versus the Jaguars. The winner of that – oh, no, excuse me. When I said the Bengals, I, I was wrong. They're not the four seed. They're going to be the three seed because I remembered now the Titans or the Jaguars will be the four seed, and they will have a home playoff game. Jacksonville will, take, will host the Tennessee Titans this weekend. Tonight at 8.15 on ESPN, the worldwide leader of sports. It's all for the Marbles, a team that's had two consecutive number one picks. Is They're competing for the division title. I believe it's going to be Josh Dobbs will get the nod for the Titans. And he'll have to go up against Trevor Lawrence, who's about to have a 4,000-yard season. He's got 24 touchdowns and eight interceptions on the year. It's going to be a real nice matchup in the Titan running backs versus the Jags running backs we got Derrick Henry versus Travis Etienne. Two awesome running backs this year. It's going to be a fun game. Also, before we leave, shout out to Christian Kirk. Proving everyone wrong. 1,000-yard year in the books. Even if it was the old season format, 1,000-yard year for Christian Kirk. How about it, baby? I still don't think he's worth the money, but how about it? We have Chiefs and Raiders starting shortly. It's going to be at 430. All these times are Eastern Standard. They'll be at 430 on ABC and ESPN as well. That game really doesn't matter besides the Chiefs receding. The, the other big games I've circled, Patriots and Bills. Patriots win and in. Bills, if they win, they keep Miami's hopes alive, and the Bills could fight for that one seed then. That was at least a fighting chance for it. Patriots are winning and in. If they lose, they got to hope for Miami losing. Miami plays the Jets at 1 o'clock on Sunday. So both those games will be going on simultaneously. Miami's going to be starting Skylar Thompson with their playoff hopes on the line as Tua is not cleared. The Jets are going to be calling on former Super Bowl MVP, former elite quarterback, former passing yards leader, former Ravens star quarterback, and former highest-paid quarterback in football, Joe Flacco. He will be getting the reins for the Jets as they try and play spoiler against a division rival. Ravens and Bengals is another huge one this week as both teams will be fighting for the division win, the division title. It will be in Cincinnati. Cincinnati's nine-point favorites. I like Cincinnati by a lot in this one. I think Joe Burrow and Jamar are going to play the full game as well as T. Higgins and Joe Mixon. All those guys will be playing. So for all my fantasy football fans out there, that's your good news. If you have to, work to worry about a week 18 and you got the Bengals guys, good news for you. Vikings and Bears will only matter for, I guess, the Vikings seating. Same thing with Buccaneers. Falcons doesn't really matter. It's just the Buccaneers could go for a winning record. Panthers and Saints does not matter at all for either team. Everyone's going to be playing for auditions. Browns and Steelers also play at 1 o'clock. The Steelers need to win to, one, keep Mike Tomlin's win streaks alive, and, two, keep their very, very slim playoff hopes alive. If both the Dolphins and the Patriots lose, then the Pittsburgh Steelers, for the second year in a row, sneak in on some crazy, crazy against-all-odds scenario that no one would have thought happened was seen coming. I would have never thought the Steelers would be a playoff team. Kenny Pickett has looked clutch his last couple of starts. He's led two big comeback drives despite looking mid for most of the games. Looking like a rookie. He's inexperienced, but he's got the clutch gene in him, and Steelers fans have something to be excited about. Whether they win or not this week, they get into the playoffs or not, you have something in Kenny Pickett. Ride with it. The Browns will look to upset them as they force their ways into Pittsburgh to try and upset them with Deshaun Watson at the helm. The big games in the NFC, the Giants can play spoiler for the Eagles. The Eagles win. They clinch the the NFC East, and they clinch the number one seed. Teams fighting for it, the San Francisco 49ers, and surprisingly, the Dallas Cowboys. Who would have thought after week one the Dallas Cowboys would be in this situation? They lose Dak Prescott to a broken finger that he needs surgery on. Cooper Rush starts. Six games goes five and one, beating teams like the defending champion, Los Angeles Rams when they're at full strength. They beat, what's they beat? They beat someone else. Really impressive. They beat the Bengals. Another impressive team. That's a team I personally I think will make it out of the AFC this year. That team matches up well with anybody. The Bengals and the Cowboys punched them in the mouth at home. Oh, in uh, Jerry World, I should say. Dallas will be playing the Commanders, who will be turning to Sam Howell this week. Right? Sam Howell? Is that the kid they have? I might be mistaken here, but. Who's their who's their other quarterback? It has to be Sam Howell. UNC guy, right? Because they're not starting Heineke. Yes, yeah, Sam Howell, excuse me. I'm so sorry I stuttered for a minute, but. I just need to check my, double-check my work there because that's something big. I can't go off the top of my head with that. But Sam Howell will be getting the reins for the commanders. Dallas is not planning on resting starters, and they also just brought in Xavier Rhodes to shore up the cornerback position as they've lost two key corners this year, and they've been rocking. The corners now have been Trayvon Diggs, rookie Duran Bland, second-year player Nashawn Wright, who mainly was a, a uh, special teamer until this year. He's very raw. He has very good size, and he played well his last couple of games. Nishan Wright will be out there. They signed Rhodes for depth because they do not want to turn back to second-round pick Kelvin Joseph. Kelvin Joseph has been terrible as a pro. If you want to see me melt down about it, go find some old clips on it. There's definitely something where I've mentioned how bad he is as a pro. The Eagles are looking for Jalen Hurts to play this week. He's trending in the right direction. He's listed as questionable still with his shoulder injury. The Eagles will be without Josh Sweat and Avante Maddox in this contest, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson will remain on IR. The Giants will be resting some starters, but they will be playing some as well. We've been hearing mixed reports. I guess the only way to know is game time will know who's playing and who's not. Uh, The 49ers will be playing the Cardinals. Will they rest starters in this one? I think there's a chance they do. They'll probably keep Purdy in there for a little bit, just let him keep getting reps because he hasn't played the whole year and he came into the year as a practice squad guy as Mr. Irrelevant. We'll see what happens here long-term now. And finally, the last game of the week that means anything. The Detroit Lions will be playing the Green Bay Packers for a playoff spot or potentially a playoff spot. As the Seahawks will take on the Rams, the Lions can clinch. If the Seahawks lose in the 4 o'clock window, the Lions can beat the Packers and be in. Seattle loses. The Lions are out. Seattle wins. The Lions are out. Excuse me. And if the Packers win, they're in. That's it. Packers win or go home. Lions it's going to be a winner go home potentially. Seahawks are win and hope that the Packers lose. It's going to be a fun week 18 everyone. 16 games t- over the course of 2 days. 14 on Sunday, 2 tonight on Sat on Saturday. Buckle up everyone. It's going to be a fun ride and I can't wait to talk about it. On the next episode of Nick's World of Sports, on Tuesday, we will be back in the studio. We'll be breaking down everything in the NFL. We'll be talking about every single major game that we just talked about, all the playoff clinching scenarios. We'll do a full recap, and we'll be doing a full breakdown of all the playoff stuff. We might even get into a full playoff predictions. We'll either do that Tuesday or Thursday. We'll do a full playoff bracket, predict each and every game We'll be talking about the biggest stories heading into the playoff weekend. We'll also be continuing coverage on the DeMar Hamlin thing as every outlet is. I might as well stay in the loop with it as well because that's important for everyone. And it's good to know that DeMar Hamlin is doing okay. We might also have some more baseball news to come our way as well. Hopefully we'll hear something on the Carlos Correa front as he's the last major free agent left. The Brian Reynolds saga is continuing over in Pittsburgh. They offered him that contract. He turned it down. The – Pirates want a huge package for Reynolds. A lot of teams are hesitant to give him a big package. We'll see what happens with that front. That's going to be something that will probably conclude in the coming weeks. And many more. Thank you for tuning in to Nick's World of Sports. I hope you had a good time listening. I'll see you next time with episode 49, I believe. 49, wow. We're almost at the half-century mark for episodes of Nick's World of Sports, and I thank you for choosing this podcast to be where you get your latest sports news and sports coverage. I will see you on Tuesday with a new episode. Take care, everyone.